Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we are excited to be talking about novelists and film with Paul Inman and Liz Kieran. Paul Inman has a passion for storytelling across many platforms, including all genres of film, music, podcasts, and writing. He has film accolades from the South Carolina Underground Film Festival, the Foothills Film Festival, and Southern States Indie Fan Film Fest. Currently, some of his short films can be seen on Shorts TV and Amazon Prime. Liz Karen is the author of The Phantom Forest and The Night's Edge duology, forthcoming from Tor, Nightfire, Macmillan. She is also a playwright and a screenwriter. She is currently developing a number of feature and television projects and is the co-founder of Script Prescriptions, where she works as a story consultant. For more, visit LizKaren.com. So welcome, both of you. I'm so excited to have you here. Yay, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having us going to be a really fun topic and one that I'm excited about just to pick your brains and hear your thoughts. So to get started, I would love it if you could both just tell our listeners kind of where you found the intersection of novel writing and film. What came first? What has that journey looked like for you? Go ahead, Liz. Okay, thanks. So I began life as a playwright, actually. When I was a teenager, I was doing a lot of theater and I started writing plays and then went to the NYU film program to study playwriting, screenwriting, and TV writing, which is their dramatic writing track over there. And so I kind of had those three things intersect educationally. And then it was after I graduated college that I was like, you know, I really want to write a book as well. I love the dramatic form. I love film, but like, I just wish I could write a book. I think I'm going to try. And so I did, and that became my first book, The Phantom Forest. And at the time that that book came out, I had kind of just started getting traction as a screenwriter out here in LA. I had a couple of projects in development. I signed with my agents and I was in the Writers Guild. So I kind of had those things start to intersect right at the same time, which has been really cool. So now with my second book, which is my forthcoming duology, Night's Edge, is going, that one's going to be out in 2023, which is still a while from now. But like, what I'm really excited about is that we've already started developing it for television. And when I can tell more about that, I certainly will. But I'm learning so much about the adaptation process. I've adapted other people's work but not yet my own. And that is something that has layers and layers of illuminating moments, let's just say, (laughs) but it's been really cool. Yeah, we can get into that more because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear the differences between adapting your own work and adapting others. And I'm sure there's a lot of emotion that goes into that as well and maybe attachment to your own work Mm -hmm. that you don't have to others. That's exciting that there might be some some option prospects. And Paul, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I learned something just now. I learned that I should go first because there's no way I can compete with any of that. Uh, Not not that it's a competition. It's not a competition. (laughs) No. So my first love actually was music. I I, uh, went to college for music performance and I spent um, a lot of years, like not even working in that field. Um, I live in Myrtle Beach and, uh, you know, there's a lot of tourism here and a lot of like places that you can perform and do stuff like that. Right. So 
that I don't know, that just never appealed to me a lot. So I ended up actually uh, spending a lot of time working on airplanes, weirdly enough, right? So eventually, fast forward, you know, I, I eventually decided to get my master's degree. And now I'm a teacher. So I teach music all day long. In fact, right now, I'm doing virtual high school. So that's kind of a, a new territory for me because I've never done high school before. And then virtual music is all kinds of weird, you know. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is that eventually I uh, found that I loved making films and I liked the process of learning. I, I mean, I like learning is kind of what I was getting at. And uh, I like the process of learning how to do all the stuff there is to do. And uh, I bought my, <laughs> this funny story, um, I bought my um, first uh camcorder that you had to put like a VHS in to get it to work from a pawn shop. And uh, I wrote a check for it and I had to get a, a VHS tape, right, to go along with it because I was like, I need to film right now, you know. So they threw in a, a tape and they're like, it's going to be an extra two bucks. So I wrote this check back when, you know, you had to write checks, right? So I'm old is what I'm saying. So um, I wrote this check and I bounced the check by 30 cents. And it was because I needed to buy a VHS tape to go along with it. That's quite a story, though. I think that's yeah. great. You um, are more interested in short film, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Currently, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's uh, that's all I've done is sh- uh, short film. Um, I would love to do a feature, uh, but the amount of work that goes into even, you know, a short film is is staggering. Like this film that I'm working on that's coming out recently, I mean, uh, that's coming out, you know, next week is um, the longest one I've done is 34 minutes. And it's definitely like really challenging to to do everything involved because I'm mostly a one man band beyond like actors and crew in the production. And it's definitely a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. So it's rewarding for me because I enjoy it. I enjoy learning all of the stuff and I enjoy doing each aspect of it, of course. But it's been a lot of fun working on this particular film. Very difficult. Lots of visual effects in this film. That's really what is taking so long because, you know, you work all day long and when you're done, you have three seconds of visual effects and you're like, "Ah, you know, got to do it again tomorrow. So Mm -hmm. I never got around to writing. I actually did write a book and I am currently writing a book, although this opportunity kind of fell in my lap to make this Stephen King short film that I'm working on. And, uh, I kind of put all that on hold for a little bit because I was like, there's no way I can balance all of this. So, but my friend, uh, a friend that I went to school with, who I, I know through music, actually, she actually a pretty big time author, Kira Cass. Anyway, she wrote her first book before she oh, was a yeah, big time author. Oh yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. And when she wrote her first book, I was like, I wonder if I can do that. And I sat down and I tried. And after about a page, I was like, I cannot do this. Oh my gosh, this is hard. So I kind of put it off for a while, but then eventually I was like, you know what, let me try again. And after a couple of false starts, I was like, let me get a good story and let me just see if I can do it. And after, you know, first 20 pages, I was like, okay, maybe this will be something. Then after 20,000 words, I was like, okay, I must be near the end. No, um, I think, you know, my, <laughs> my novel ended up being like 95,000 words or 97 or something like that. And I, I was like, no clue. I kind of totally pantsed it and, you know probably shows. But those false starts are like so important for when you are first learning to do books as a new medium. I had the same thing happen. I I think I must have started and then started over with Phantom Forest like seven different times because I was just, I knew I had characters I was excited about. I knew what I wanted to say, but 
my brain was trained in an entirely different medium and I just had to settle into a new way of expressing myself. And that was super hard. So yeah, and, I, and I think I, I, I think I now know a lot of people who like started out as screenwriters or playwrights who come up to me and say like, Hey, I want to try to write a book. Like, what's that like? And my, the thing I tell them straight away is just, get comfortable with yourself, get comfortable with your author voice, because it's gonna be different than the voice you think you have. And that's okay. And so that kind of leads into another question I wanted to ask you is just how has it affected your work, either your work as a novelist, having this education in screenwriting, or your work as a screenwriter, now having written a novel from start to finish? How has that changed the way that you approach either of those mediums? It's definitely changed the way I approach writing a book, mostly because I know that I personally, because I have such a love for film and TV, that I want to write things that could eventually be a great movie. I really care about that. I know there are other authors who perhaps are like more steeped in the literary conceit of it all and and don't have that ambition, but I do. So whenever I set out to write a new book, I'm like, okay, how can we make this more expansive? How can we make sure this is like emotionally resonant all the way through? What is the audience? What is the reach of this? And you have to like, you know, these questions aren't very creative, but it makes my life easier if I can answer those questions early because I know what I'm getting, I guess. And that, and that can be, and that's great, but sometimes I also feel a little bit held back by that. It doesn't make it as easy to just like fly free and go off and write. But yeah, yeah. And I think the other way around with taking novel to to screen, or if I'm writing a new screenplay that's not based on a novel, it's really important for me to be character forward and taking any of those emotions that would otherwise be internal and finding visual ways to externalize them every time. And that, you know, you got to take your time with that because it, it, you have to think about it. Like there's the way someone feels on the page in a book where they can just monologue what's going on inside of them. Can't do that on screen. No. And uh, that's a, a good point. And I, I was kind of saving this for later on, if we were going to talk about our fun little secret topic that I'm not going to spoil yet. Right. But uh, so the idea of monologuing and stuff, is really difficult. In fact, I mean, I'm going to relate it to what I'm working on now because that's what's fresh in my mind, right? So um, this short story that Stephen King wrote, like literally 70% of it is in her brain. And it was when I was writing the screenplay for that, I'm like, how do I adapt this to make it something where we just don't have voiceover the whole time? Like, that's not interesting to watch. You know, um, in the visual medium, you know, it's not interesting. I mean, I guess it can work and it does work in a lot of stuff, but I don't know. I, I kind of just did a, a film, a short film last year that uh, actually it's been a little more than that, a year and a half ago. So uh, that had kind of a lot of these voiceover things going on because this woman was like in a, this was a, an original, by the way, that I, that I wrote. This woman was like in a, um, a fugue state. And so we were kind of getting what was going on in her brain. And it's like, I didn't want to have to do some of that same stuff again. So I really sat down and I was like, how can I make this visual? Like, what, what is it that I can do to make this more interesting, visually interesting? You know, the, the story itself is great. Like, 
but it, it was a hard adaptation. And um, I keep referencing this. I don't know if you guys know about this, but Stephen King has this this like uh, thing that he does where uh, any of his stories that aren't under contract, I guess he picks certain ones that are under contract. He has this program where student filmmakers or independent filmmakers can, you know, kind of apply to be able to get one of those. And that's what I did. And that's how I, I have this opportunity. So cool. I never knew about that. Yeah. Yeah. It is very cool. And um, my point was this particular story doesn't get adapted a lot. And and I can see why, because it's really kind of really a, a challenge, which is one of the things that drew me to it. Um, I was like, well, of course, I wanted to be like, oh, I did one that nobody else does. But at the same time, when I read it, I was like, this is a great story and it's definitely going to be hard to do. And I, I like mm-hmm. the challenge of it. You know, so. Yeah. And I imagine, I, you know, as a writer, I mostly think about point of views and, and that part of the novel writing process. So it sounds like a first person story might in, in general be a little hard to adapt. Is that, is that right? Or is it just really vary on the narration style? I mean, I, I guess that everybody approaches it differently. I mean, of course, and even the way that I'm approaching this story, I didn't approach it the same way as the last the last short film that I made. So, but for me, that's the excitement of it, like discovering how to do it. Like, um, as I mentioned earlier, like about learning, like I, I, I love thinking through the process. That's one thing I liked about writing the novel. And I kind of like just through normal, like, um, what's it called? Like the three act structure. I just kind of threw that out the window and I, I was like, no, I want to do nonlinear and I want to jump all over the place because for those of you who haven't ever heard of me or my book, um, in my book, it's about a young woman who ages extremely slowly. And uh, it's her time in her life uh, that covers about a hundred and 110 years. And I was like, I think that it would be an interesting way to approach this by just jumping around in that 110 years and getting, uh, for lack of a, an easy way to explain it, like a snapshot of what's going on in her life during that time. And and in the end, you know, all of it kind of comes together and it, you kind of like get a better understanding of what the whole story is. But, you know, that's very like episodic, almost like a television show. Like when I first sat down to write it, I was like thinking about this idea, this nonlinear idea. And it really, it ended up being similar to like what, the television show Lost did, where it would have like sort of a main story, but it would keep jumping back and you'd be with different characters. So that is a challenge for a lot of people, of course. When it was going through developmental edits, the developmental editor was like, you know, you've got a great story, but your structure is very strange. And I was like, yeah, well, I kind of feel like that the structure is a character as well. Like the point of it is to make you feel like like this person who is like sort of out of time, you know what I mean? Like unstuck from time. And I was like, so I didn't want to really do a from the ground up rewrite, which wouldn't have been too hard. You know, I just for fun went in and I just rearranged all of it into a chronological order just to see what it was like. And I was like, yeah, this is good. But I don't know, there's just something about that idea to make it more television like or film like, because that's kind of where I came from because I was already doing like, uh, you know, some really small stuff in, you know, independent film and like short films at that point. And so I kind of have, I kind of leaned into that when I was writing my novel, but I really enjoyed creating a world and creating characters. I, I love doing that. And it's a lot, it's a lot different doing it in a novel because you have that room to breathe almost, you know what I mean? Like, even if you talk about a 
an epic movie, a three hour movie, like really, if it's got 20 characters, I mean, you could do the math. How much time do they get spent on each of those characters? How much time is spent on them? You know, and in a novel, you can really like dive into the people and really get to know these, these, uh, the quirks of each of these characters and, and, and really make them real, you know, feel real. That's what, that's what I um, kind of took away from writing my novel. And, and on that note, I'm just thinking about like a book I adapted for the screen a couple years ago, which had a lot of characters in it. Like we had to condense a lot of them in order to draw focus to, you know, a more specific protagonist and what her journey was. There were all these like other magical creatures in this world and they were so numerous and it was a lot of combining characters and stuff like that. And I think that that's, that's something that happens a lot in adapting something, especially when it's an expansive world where like, yeah, you could have 20 different characters running around in this, you know, 500 page epic novel, but like, guess what? You've got 90 minutes, go. So, and and I think that like, there's an amazing example of adaptation that I think just knocked this out of the park, personally, was the Shadow and Bone Netflix adaptation of all of those books in that they knew they had this really massive world because the author wrote, let's see, hang on, one trilogy and two duologies, and then like a couple of other short stories, I think, it is massive. And so the the screenwriter just brilliantly decided to weave in elements from the other duologies into the main trilogy and have them intersect in all of these really dramatic, interesting ways. And the brilliance of it is that fans of the book still really rallied behind this show, as far as I can tell. like they were really careful not to step on anything that was going to take away from the resonance of either of these stories separately, but they brought them together and kind of like wove a new blanket, I guess. And I was just fascinated watching all of it unfold because I was familiar with the characters and I'm like, wait, you put him here. Oh my God. So it, sometimes it works. There are other times it does not though. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. I haven't seen that yet, but I, it kind of, what came to mind was the adaptation of Lovecraft Country, where they are really, you know, in the book, those were all very separate accounts. And then in the, I guess, screen version, they really had to figure out how to weave that in and, you know, get it done over six episodes or 12. You know, I might be wrong there. Over a miniseries. Yeah, it's really, really challenging when you have IP that is very large. But that's also like what what larger studios and streaming platforms want right now is expansive IP and big worlds. So you're, you know, you just got to work with a big piece of meat. <laughs> so, you know, I haven't actually seen either one of those, but my, um, my little nieces are reading the, the series. So I've seen the books and I've seen the show like on, on like the streaming platform, but I haven't actually watched the show yet, but I did watch on, uh, Oh, what's the name of that ser- that, um, book series now his dark materials is the name of the, the show. I think yeah, that's the series right, right, right. too. Is that right? Yeah. So that's been yeah. fantastic. And uh, it, it made me dive into the, the books and, you know, so we were talking about adapting now, like it's, it's definitely one, like a, a, a beast to adapt something huge 
into smaller, like a, a different medium that is going to be less expansive, right? But with the good thing about these uh, streaming platforms and picking up these series like this is that, you know, you can really tell a long form story, sort of like a novel in the visual medium, um, because, uh, you know, when you're talking episodic, what I have found so far, and I haven't actually finished reading the His Dark Materials yet, but so far they have been really, really true to the books. Of course there are changes, but you know, it's been really pretty spot on. And I was like, wow, I can't believe how, how much that they actually got into these episodes. You know, there's, I think there's two seasons or something like that. I can't remember, but it has been really uh, a great adaptation so far. That's where I am. I, I wish, well, I wish I had more time to like kind of watch TV, but you know, life happens and you don't always have time to do that, you know, especially when you have to make a movie, you know, and you're doing 15 jobs all at the same time. Right. Did you like see it. Dune yet? <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Did you? I did. Have you read the book? I have read the book. Now, is this where we're going to segue into <laughs> our fun oh, topic? I, I don't know if I was ready to segue. I was just ready to talk about Dune. <laughs> so I have never read the book. So I came, but I knew enough about it. My husband recently read it. And then I have lots of friends who have read it. And I was told that the film was very faithful to what the book was. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Well, Jackie, would you agree with that? Uh, you haven't read it in a while, right? You know, I had not read it in a very long time. I'm 36, so high school was a long time ago. But yes, there were moments that when it happened on the screen that I then had a, a memory of reading that part of the book, but I don't have a fresh enough memory to, to know if it um, was close enough. I'm not a hardcore fan of Dune, where I would be disappointed with the adaptation either way, even if I'd read it recently. So, but I really did enjoy the movie. Curious to hear Paul's thoughts because he probably has a, a better knowledge of, of Dune than I do. Well, I don't. I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I do anyway. I actually had never read Dune until this summer because I knew the movie was coming out. And I was like, you know what? I've heard all about this and I love science fiction personally. And I'm like, I'm going to check this out. And I was like, so let me read Dune. And I'm going to be honest here. The reason I ask about the segue is because I truly feel like the movie was better than the book. That's my own personal opinion, you know? Yeah, well, I think that a couple of the people I've spoken to who were readers of the book as well share that opinion in that, I mean, A, it was just visually so rich and so exciting, and they kept the focus on that and just the scope of it and didn't get mired up in the details of too much mythology, too much language, too much prophecy. It's just like, we are here on the desert planet. Here's the spice. The spice is super important. Here is Paul. Paul's probably the chosen one. Now let's blow stuff up. You know, It was was very simple in the best way possible, I felt. And as a person who hadn't read the book, I was totally immersed in the film. And I think that the one complaint that I've read about the adaptation, which is, you know, people were saying it was slow and that it was, you know, clearly one half of a larger thing. And um, to that, I say like, well, you know, if you look at Lord of the Rings, if you look at Fellowship, like that's one third of a larger thing. And arguably your most iconic character, Gollum, doesn't even show up until your second film. 
like, exactly, exactly. I, I know we were missing a lot of Zendaya in, in part one of Dune, but like, I'm sure she's got stuff to do. Oh, yeah. And, you know, being really fresh off of reading the book, I thought it was they made a lot of good choices in their in their decision making in the adaptation because the story is very, very dense with stuff like a mythology. And, you know, there are characters that got trimmed out and, um, you know, altered a little bit. But I mean, that that's always going to happen a little bit in in an adaptation because really, you know, you're not not necessarily trying to completely make it, you know, line line by line because you really couldn't. But anyway, so there's some creative liberties is what I was trying to say. And I think it ended great. In fact, when I was reading the book, we got to that point where it ended and I was like, end. And it was like, oh, but wait. And it kept going. And I was like, oh, all right. And then there's, I, I don't know, spoiler. I don't know. If you're listening, maybe this is a spoiler. I don't know. But there's like a, a time jump in the novel. And yeah. I, I thought that yeah. was I thought that was strange. But I as a as a someone who has written something, you kind of battle this idea of like, okay, where is the actual end of the story I'm telling? Because you're like, there's more. Do I do this time jump and keep going? Or do I, you know, is this my one shot? Do I just try to squeeze everything in, you know? Which is a, sort of a dilemma that I that I kind of had when I was writing my novel, but you know, I, I didn't have that, uh, you know, that, uh, battle with myself for very long. I was just like, no, this is the end. You know what I mean? But in this book, mm -hmm. it kind of was like a, a whole new section in the last maybe 25% or so. Yeah, and then they leave I, you kind I of hanging that at that part, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think a time jump is a really wonderful and natural place to start a sequel to a film or a new exactly. season of a show. So, you know, it, it's an elegant way that a continuation is already built in. Perhaps right. I, I'm very curious to see how they're going to handle the time jump with the Dune sequel. But yeah, I was, I've been looking forward to that movie for a long time and I was so thrilled that it met my expectations. We saw it in IMAX. My mind was blown. It was a great That's day. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. My wife had never read the book either. And when it was over, I was like, well, what'd you think? She liked it a lot too. She thought it was really good. Always love when I see a filmmaker take a piece of material they love and just unabashedly say, this is my version of it. You're welcome. Yep. I loved it. So are yeah. there, um, and, and interestingly enough, like while we're talking about Denis Villeneuve and I also talked about the screenwriter, Eric Heiserer, who adapted Shadow and Bone, their collaboration, Arrival, which is an adaptation of a short story, is another one that I think would be really interesting to talk about if you two are familiar with that movie or the short story. Because that is like Arrival, yeah. an incredibly compelling but kind of tough nut to crack in terms of source material. And I think it's really interesting to talk about the ways they expanded that story and made it more cinematic. Well, I would just love to hear your thoughts. I saw the film and I loved the film and it was visually stunning. I also felt like there was a lot, there wasn't very much dialogue in that film, if I'm remembering correctly, but maybe you could just talk both of you about what the adaptation looked like and the source yeah. material and why that stood out to you. Have either of you read Story of Your Life, which is the source material from that? The short story. I have not, but so, I, I actually didn't realize that it, it came from a short story, but I love the movie. 
I love any kind yeah, of things the movies that deal with time, you know, that's kind yeah. of my jam, you know? <laughs> so the short story, which I recently read and I've seen Arrival many times, actually, it's one of my favorite films. And I thought also, cause I knew we were going to be having this conversation and I, was, I had just walked out of seeing Dune and I'm like, oh, my brain is already circling all of these topics. I'm going to go read Story of Your Life. And I was so surprised by the differences between the short story and the film Arrival. In the short story, I mean, just to, just to be concise about it, like it is the same setup. Aliens come, they have some sort of message, or so we believe. And there's this linguist who is hired to come help translate. She has a doctor, this guy working with her. They fall in love. And as she learns the language, she starts to experience her memories in a nonlinear way and starts having visions of her daughter who hasn't even been conceived yet and how she dies and how she's processing grief about her child before it's even born. Crazy. And that translates completely to the film and all of the emotional richness that comes with that translates. And that's beautifully done. The thing that is different, hugely different, is that the short story, there's a lot of page real estate dedicated to the linguistics of it all and a lot of terminology. And it almost reads like hard sci-fi about language. And that to me, it was not as interesting, just to be quite frank. But I loved the conceit of the story and I loved these characters and what they were going through. And then another thing that's different in Arrival is like the visual scope. Again, this is just Denis Villeneuve doing like what he does best with like those crazy black egg-shaped ships. That's not in the short. They have these weird little mirror things where they like, it's just like a piece of glass. And on the other side of the glass, there's the alien. No, like he went for it. And the visuals in Arrival are so arresting and so iconic. And so I think that's just a wonderful example of just like these producers and the screenwriter getting a really interesting, weird piece of material, kind of mining the gold nugget of emotional resonance from it and then handing it off to a super visual director and saying, like, go nuts. They also introduced, like, really big stakes in the movie Arrival, wherein, like, at one point, the aliens say, we want to give you a weapon. I think at one point, Amy Adams, like, translates that, and the world goes crazy, and everyone, like, is on the brink of war, and she has to help negotiate it. That is not in the short at all. In fact, in the short, we never really find out what the aliens wanted. They just leave one day. And it's just that she learned how to speak their nonlinear language. That's it. So like, that's a very big Hollywood left turn to raise those stakes in a big worldwide way. So that's real different. Right. And I'm sure it's exciting as a, an author to just see someone take your vision and just bring it to life on the screen. And I'm curious if the author of that short, how they felt about it. Like, I wish there was kind of more transparency in, in how writers feel about their adaptations. I know there are some contracts involved and probably. <laughs> I'm sure there, I would have to look and see if he's done interviews. Ted Chang, I think is the name of the author. Yeah, the short story. And I'm like, how, how, does, how, how does he feel about Arrival? I would yeah, love to know. To find out. Well, you know, there's always the flip side of that coin, like someone out there who read that short 
was really into the language part of it. And so when they watched the adaptation, that's what they were waiting on. That's the hard part about adapting. When you're digging through and you're trying to find the, you know, as you put it, like the, uh, how'd you put it? I forget the emotional nugget or something like that. Right. So as you're digging through and you're trying to find this emotional core, sometimes these things that maybe not your foretaste, like your personal forte kind of as a, as a, an adapter kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit, you know, and unfortunately that, that means that someone who loves that get, has to lose that. And I think that's what happened with some of this stuff with Dune, you know, like there are people who are like, oh, I wanted to see more of this. And then the Baron, for example, the Baron is really this kind of character and we didn't get that, you know? And I think that it's hard to find the balance. It's hard to find the balance, which is, you know, the kind, kind of what I was talking about as my own adaptation is going on or what, I mean, for the story that I'm working on, it is hard to find the balance. It really is. Even when you're adapting like a 12 or 13 page short into like a 30 minute or whatever um, short film, it's hard to find the balance because, you know, there's some things that you're probably going to have to lose and you just got to try to decide what's important and what's you know important to the overall story that you are trying to tell not the maybe not the the story that is already told you know what's the important part you know yeah absolutely and i think like in terms of what gets put on the chopping block and what makes it in your film a lot of times what wins out is whatever is easiest to convey visually that often just ends up being you know the the gold medal winner there because like I think with the linguistics and the, the technology that is explored in Story of Your Life, a lot of that would have been tough to get across cinematically. And I can kind of already picture like these conversations that they must have had with the producers and with the writers just being like, what is the quickest, most visually digestible way we can talk about how she learns the language? Do that. And that's just a lot of times how it goes. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there were people who were disappointed that it didn't go further. But I think it's a it's a question of can you go further without lagging your pace, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty sure. Well, I hope that your that my opinion is not unpopular opinion for the people who listen like about Dune, because I felt like it was a better adaptation. It was a better version because it kind of got tightened up some, you know? Not that the, you know, the original isn't, isn't bad or anything. Uh, it's just, it's, it almost lost me in the middle because I'm just like, okay, we're going on and on and on about stuff that I'm like, I get it. I know. I understand. And uh, as a writer, like a long form writer, as a novelist, that's weird to say, by the way, you kind of run into that. Like sometimes you're like, okay, like, does it really matter? Like what the placemats are on the, on the table? Like, I mean, nobody cares unless it's important. And you got to kind of figure out, is it important or not? But in the moment, sometimes you're just writing and you're just feeling it and you're just going and you're like, this is great. It's perfect. And, uh, you know, if you're like me, you get up the next day and you read it and you go, oh my gosh, this is terrible. What am I doing? You know? <laughs> so it's definitely a challenge to try to figure out like what works and what doesn't work. And it's, and I think that's even a bigger challenge when, you, when it comes to writing screenplays, because you don't really have this kind of long form thing that you can do with when you're writing a screenplay because it's kind of like let's get to the point you know what i mean because it's not your job as as the screenplay writer to craft as much of the world that's kind of like you know somebody else's job the director right sure and you actually just made me think of something really fun which is that like when we're writing a book like 
our brain almost becomes, you know, we are the director, we are the production designer, we are the sound designer. Like we become all of those things because we are adding in all of this description to build a world and make it feel organic. And, you know, that's just such a fun way to think of it. And then, you know, when you go to adapt a book as just a screenwriter, like you're stripping it down and you don't get to talk about like, what does this sound like? What does this smell like? What are those placemats on the table? Like that's going to be the production designer's choice a year from now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just really funny. You know, and I think that's one thing I like about directing is that you're kind of like the novelist. You get to make the decisions, you know, not that I always need to make the decisions. In fact, sometimes I'm like, I, I don't care. Just make the choice. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what the placemats look like. You know, it doesn't matter to me. Although like, it all depends on, are they important, you know? That can tell you something about your character and you need that. Yes, you're right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, sometimes you do need that. But there are some decisions where I'm just like, listen, I got 400 things to decide today and I've like reached my limit of decisions. So black is fine with me. I don't care, you know? <laughs> and then someone might look at me and say, well, this is why I think it should be this. And they'll give me their reasoning. And then I can go, yeah, okay. Because at that point, I'm not really making the decision. I'm just agreeing. Not that I'm kind of digging a hole here, but not that I'm saying that, you know, I'm overly agreeable or I don't like to make decisions, but you know, sometimes you just max out, especially when you're on set and it's like hour 14, you know, that's hard. And you're going, what do we have to do? Like, what's our next shot? And you're like, and what time are we supposed to wrap? We were supposed to wrap four hours ago. And did these people eat today? You know, and it's like, all right, well, you go order some pizzas because that's all I can afford right now. And you know, it gets to be difficult in that moment. It's like, I don't care. Just, just just pick. And then if you can give me a reason, well, this character, then I go, okay, you're right. Because that character does. Because it, in theory, hopefully, I've done my job in advance. And it's not at that point where I'm having to make these on-the-spot decisions. However, I could tell you that that always happens. When you're on set, like nothing ever, well, I don't want to say nothing, but, you know, something is going to go crazy and you're going to have to just make a choice, you know? And you live with that choice and you hope that it's a good choice. Yeah. And that's why like having really strong material from the source, like, you know, you have a Stephen King short story at the core of your shoot. So no matter what like tornado of production issues you're battling that day, you can always step back and be confident that like your source material is great. You will tell a great story. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it is. It is important. Like, as I mentioned, there's a lot of effects in this particular short film. I said to someone just yesterday, I was like, you know, it doesn't matter if I spend months making these effects look great if the story isn't something that people care about, you know, and that's kind of where I'm living at now since it's it's going to debut next week. And I'm like, so hopefully the story is is there. I, and I think it is now. I, I'm don't I'm just kind of, you know, self-deprecating a little bit, but. I think that it's going to be good. And to un, to get myself out of the hole I dug just a minute ago, like we spent months in pre, pre-production, okay? So it's not like little minuscule decisions weren't made already. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of making up an example. There was lots of character talk, especially with the with the actors. You know, I had lots of meetings with like through these like virtual meetings because, you know, we started this back when COVID was really kind of early. 
and uh, lots of meetings, lots of talking about characters. Why does this character do that? Well, this is why I think it is. You know, in these low stress moments where you're not standing around with people who are unhappy that they were supposed to leave three hours ago, you know what I mean? In those situations, you know, you try to do it in advance. So you have most of the work done. And when you get there, it's kind of just going through the motions until you get that one thing that doesn't work. And then you got to figure that out, you know? Well, I want to just see what our kind of thing that we sort of half pre-planned was, are there movies better than the books? And we sort of talked about that. So I just am curious, like what you came up with, we can do this quick. It doesn't have to be like, you know, we can do a rapid fire. Like, although you probably, you might have to explain yourself for some of them. No, well, I actually just named the ones that I probably, you know, what had wanted to talk about. I had definitely wanted to talk about story of your life into arrival wanted to talk about dune and then i don't want to say that the shadow and bone series was better than the books for any reason but i will say i had much more entertaining experience getting invested in the show than i did reading the books And that probably for me was just the excitement of seeing the characters collide in this really creative new way. So I wouldn't say with that one, either was better than the other. It was just a really special, innovative way to adapt large IP, which, you know, I just loved. Mm. What about you? One that comes to mind as just kind of similar to what Liz said, where I just thoroughly enjoyed watching it on the screen, was I've been watching with my son the the new Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events. And it's just such a delight to see those characters, you know, come to life in this new way. And, you know, I still love and adore the books, but um, it really does add a new layer, just get some more creative energy in there. That's the great thing about going from books to another medium, in this case, film. Like you get to see these characters in in a little bit different ways. And that's exciting. Although it can be difficult if you look at like something like Star Wars, you know, The Last Jedi. Some people like hate that, but I'm I'm like, I love it. I'm I'm on board. I like want to see new things. I want new stuff to happen, you know? I don't mind nostalgia, but at the same time, like I don't want all nostalgia. For me personally, like I got a couple of them. I got a couple of them. I'll say Jurassic Park was a better movie than the book. Not because the book was bad. I actually really liked the book. But Jurassic Park, like when it came out, um, I was like a, you know, a really young teenager. And I went to the theater and I'm like, oh my God, there are dinosaurs in this movie. Like real looking dinosaurs. Like what is happening? And it was just such a, a giant leap forward in filmmaking that I actually read, it was one of those where I saw the movie first and then the next year I read the book. Actually, it was a, it was an assignment in biology class that we had to read this book because, you know, it was all about DNA and stuff. So when I read the book, I was like, I mean, I see what's happening and I understand that the movie's really pretty similar to this, but man, the movie just blew me away. And uh, I was just like, I can't believe it. Like that to me was one that I was like, yeah, that's definitely better than the, than the, uh, than the book. Not that the book is bad, because I do like the book. It's just, yeah, I don't know, the yeah. movie's blew that's me away. A, that's, a, that's like the best example that could possibly exist. I love that. <laughs> Another one that I had was, uh, I actually think that Forrest Gump was a better movie than the book. And I'll tell you, I think Strictly Wild. I didn't Wild, know like, Forrest as a, Gump was a book. Yeah, yeah, it's a book. And it's a good book. 
I mean, they adapted it because it's a great book, but it's something about being a musician. I think it's something about the music in that movie. Like it's such, they use such iconic songs for the time periods that they visit in the movie. And I don't know, it's just something about that movie in general that I'm just like, yeah, this is better than the book for me. And I had one more. Oh, I know it. I almost forgot. My oh, last I thought one. of one as well. I'll go next. <laughs> oh, no, go next. I, I can okay. go. Yeah, you're good. One that jumped into mine is Into the Wild. The movie I thought was lovely. The book, not a likable character that, um, what's his name? Super Tramp. Yeah, that guy. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So interesting. Yeah, that that's also another really wonderful example. Yeah, this has been such a fun thought experiment, right? Because, you know, all we ever get told is, well, the movie is never as good as the book. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true every time. And we just proved it. And I'm sure we'll get a uh, hate mail here soon about Jurassic Park oh, yeah. or Into the Wild or Dune or whatever. You know what? <laughs> well, Bring it on, audience. We, we, uh, we made our decisions. <laughs> oh, so my last one was the, the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm. The movies were just so good. And, you know, I tried. They're really hard to read, I think. I read, you know, all of The Fellowship. I read 75% of Two Towers, by the way, which I love the Two Towers. Like movie-wise, that's my favorite of the three. And mm-hmm. I just found it too difficult to even finish, like, which is strange because I love that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's just that was tough for me. You don't have to agree except mm-hmm. for that I'm right. I exactly (laughs) I think it's really genre specific too like I'm not you know I'm drawn to character driven fantasy novels novels but I'm not very drawn to reading epic fantasy but I will still enjoy the screen version and I'm sure it's really similar with other people and specific genres that they will still like the story but aren't going to sit down and invest in a 700 page book in that in a genre they don't really enjoy reading Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm So it's been such a pleasure. I think this episode is going to be really fun for folks to listen to. Um, As you're listening, if you have any movies that you thought were better than the novel, you know, tag us on social media and let us know what you think and any other resources that you have on this topic as well. So I would love to give both of you a chance to just let our listeners know how to keep up with the work that you're doing, where to find you, what you're working on next and anything you want to plug. Paul, did you want to go first again? (laughs) Sure. Sure. Why not? I actually am kind of hermiting right now from the internet. I've even let my website lapse and shut down, but you can follow me on social media, Paul Inman SC. That's for South Carolina because that's where I live. I'm very creative at things, you know, Paul Inman SC. Yeah. Twitter or Instagram. And uh, if you do Facebook, I think it's just Paul Inman. But anyway, you'll have to request me there because again, I'm hiding from the world for, you know, various different reasons, probably just because I panic, you know, I'm just joking. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, you could look on, I don't know, I don't really have a lot going on right now. I mean, I have a ton going on. I don't have a lot going on on the internet, but um, Well, where can, can people uh, find this new project that you're working on when it goes live? That's a great question. And <laughs> you actually cannot. That's unfortunate because the contract that we have, it can only be in film festivals. And right now, Because it's still, you know, it hasn't premiered yet. We don't have any film festivals lined up. But hopefully, you can write me a letter and send it in the mail. Um, What's your home address? No, Yeah, sure. Um. So I live at, (laughs) on Amazon Prime, there's a film called Zia, X-I-A. And uh, you can check that out if you'd like. So I'm on Instagram at Liz Karen. And 
only Instagram. I too have been hermiting from social media a little bit. It's great for my health. And then I have my website, LizKaren.com, which I've done a better job of updating recently. My new book, Night's Edge, is not out until 2023. So in the meantime, you can check out my first book, The Phantom Forest, which is available on all, you know, internet book retail platforms, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Bookshop, et cetera, et cetera. Support a local indie bookstore, please. And I will also be at LA Comic-Con on December 3rd and 5th, I think are my dates. And I'll have copies of Phantom Forest I'll be signing and would love to meet people. If they're in Southern California, you should come say hi to me. Throw those both up there. And thank you both again. This was this was so much fun. This was one of the topics that when we came up with it, I was just really excited to to be on. Thank you so yeah, much for I having would... me. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.